Okay. Um, all right. Anybody have anybody have anything? Any questions or anything you want to ask today? Anybody have a question or anything? Brother Steve. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, we actually had a lady visiting this morning. Um, that um, she's been, she said she's been a Methodist for fifty years, and uh, but just very disappointed in the, the direction that the Methodist Church is going with that very same situation. And uh, she said, uh, she said it's, she said. <laughs> She said, I, I have TV, and she said, I like to watch the Better Homes and Garden Show. And she said, you know it's getting really bad when on the Better Homes and Garden Show, they have to put the, the gay flag and the gay signals and thing, symbols and things like that on there. And she says, it's just, uh, she said, it's just sad. She said, um, she said can I ask, right, with your church here, she said, I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot of Baptist churches, but she said, um, are you going the direction that the Methodist church is going? <laughs> I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am, we are not. And uh, so, uh, but it is, it's, it's very sad that that is, you know, it's becoming very prevalent um, and, you know, very much like what the Bible says, uh, woe to them that call good evil and evil good. Um, and we're living in a society and a generation that is, um, again, not just um, wanting to do what they want to do, um, but wanting to force you to accept it, whether you like it or not. And if you don't accept it, then you must be filled with hatred. Um, and that's, that's not true, right? Um, you know, just because somebody buys uh, a Chevy uh, instead of a Toyota doesn't mean that you hate people that drive a Chevy or a Toyota. No, it's just, it's just a choice, Right? You have that choice to make. If somebody wants to, chooses to live that lifestyle, that's a choice that they make. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It doesn't mean I have to condone it. Um, you know, but I don't hate that person, and uh, I don't think we should hate them. Um, you know, yes, we, we hate the sin, and we call out the sin for what it is, um, but we don't hate the person. Um, I think we should still love that person and try to win them to Christ, just as Christ would. Um, but it's it's very sad that we're living in that society. Um, in Proverbs 21, I was going to mention this verse and see if anybody had a, uh, an idea of what I was going to say about it. In Proverbs chapter 21, in verse number 1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I thought that was a very interesting verse. Um, especially in what just happened this past week um, in the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade that's um, been there for almost 50 years and everybody thought it's, it would never be overturned. Um, I mean, even you think about, you know, the government that we have. Um, the government is more concerned in our embassies in flying the gay flag than flying the American flag. Uh, when you go to embassies across the world, they're more concerned about putting up the gay flag and trying to make those countries accept that than just even the American flag, putting up the American flag and being patriotic. Um, 
And so we would think, you know, it's never, you know, our, our world is going down, and that's true. There's no doubt about that. Our country is going downhill. Um, but that doesn't mean that God cannot work. Right? It doesn't mean that God still can't do things that we would think impossible. Uh, they said it would be impossible to ever overturn Roe v. Wade, right? And uh, again, when you think about the administration and how much they push it, when you have uh, governors that will stand on the steps of their state houses, clapping and cheering that babies can be aborted, you think there's just no way. Um, and yet, the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that the king has the heart of God. It means that God has the king's heart. In other words, he's in control. It doesn't mean that every king or every person is believing and trusting in God. But God is always in control. God is never not in control. And that's why he says, As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God can... uh, do what God wants, because he is God. And uh, even though when we might think that things might be impossible, that nothing can ever be done, God can still work. And uh, I truly believe that when Christians will take a stand and when in trying to do what is right, we may not necessarily see the results of that right away, but I believe that we do see the results of that, uh, of doing what is right. And... Um, it's not always easy to, to stand for right, um, especially when everyone wants to say that you're a, you're a bigot and you're a hater and uh, you're racist and all of that. Um, but we have to continue doing what is right. We have to keep standing for the word of God. Uh, we have to keep moving forward and uh, not just going along with the current, not just whatever everybody decides, that's what we do. Um, we have to do what God wants us to do. And um, I'm very thankful, obviously, for what um, the decision that was made. Um, But that's not the end of it, right? Obviously, there's still uh, a lot more that needs to be done. And we thank God for the decision that was made. Um, But, and again, it's it's amazing how people don't really um, pay attention or listen or whatever, um, you know, I know there are some people that think, well, now because Roe v. Wade has been overturned, that uh, abortion is now illegal. That's not what Roe v. Wade was. <laughs> uh, abortion is still legal, but it's just now up to the states, uh, up to the states whether they will do it or not. And um, thankfully, was it 2021? Was it 2021, I think, maybe? or No, I think it was before that. Maybe it was early 2020 or 2019 when Ohio passed the heartbeat bill, um, you know. And so it's it's up to the states. And again, that's one of the reasons why it's one of the reasons why it's so important for Christians to be involved, um, for Christians to vote, um, because if uh, if we just stand aside and do nothing, then we just allow the world to move on and to move with their agenda. And uh, I know. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this political, but um, when Christians have an opportunity to, um, to cast a vote um, for life, 
right? It's for life. And then, you know, if we don't do that, then what are we saying? We're not really concerned. And um, you say, well, our votes don't always matter. I understand that. I understand that every time that we vote, it doesn't always get the results that we want. Um, But if we do nothing, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. And uh, and so, um, again, I I was blessed by it, but at the same time, I understand there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And um, we're still living in a very uh, perverse country. Just like Brother Steve said, um, I I don't understand why um, every month there has to be a a celebration of uh, some wickedness that God has condemned. Um, It just seems like every month they're coming out with some new celebration um, that we're going to promote this, something that God has condemned. Um, But we have to still stand for right. Um, yeah, anybody have any questions or anything? We move on. (laughs) I just thought that was a great verse as I was reading that. Um, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And, uh, even though, um, obviously I, I don't know the testimony of any of those Supreme Court justices. I don't know if any of them are saved. I have no idea. Um, but I'm thankful that God used them and, uh, in a time when we would think that it would be impossible, <laughs> right? Um, with who's in, uh, who's in power and the, and, the, and the White House and the Congress and all of this, we'd think nothing would be able to go right. And yet God just says, hey, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you. And um, we serve a great God. Amen? And uh, he's never out of control. He's always in control. He always knows what's going on. And... Uh, we can trust him in that. Um, all right, so we were looking at the, um, the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. Anybody uh, do some digging into this or anything like that as far as how are we able to prove the deity of Christ? Anybody? So if someone were to ask you, how do you know that Jesus is God? How do you know that Jesus did not just begin in the manger where most people think, or that he wasn't just a good prophet or just a good man, how, how do we answer that? What answer do we give? I mean, after all, were you alive when Jesus was alive? Did you see the miracles that, that he did? So how, how, can you, how do we know, how can you say that Jesus is God? What is our answer? How do we answer that? Because again, there's a lot of a lot of people that don't believe Jesus is God. So if we're going to help them to come to know Christ as their Savior, you have to believe that Jesus is God. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you cannot be saved, right? Go with me to 1 John. In 1 John, Chapter 4, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And notice this uh, teaching that they're doing. And he says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. 
And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. She said, look, that, there's a, their false teaching is already here, right? Obviously, the, the Pharisees were trying to promote that Jesus was not God. The Sadducees were trying to say that Jesus was not God. I mean, all the, these religions were trying to say that Jesus is not God. You have religions today trying to say that Jesus is not God. He's a good man. He was a teacher, right? Uh, you know, he, he lived a good life. He's a good role model, right? Um, so how do, we, how do we help people to know to, that Jesus truly is God? Okay, he said he was. Now, that's, that's very good, but there, you're going to have some people that say that Jesus never said he was God, right? You're going to have people that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Now, if you were to go and look at all of Jesus' teachings, does Jesus actually use those words, I am God? No, he doesn't. It's not a trick question, okay? He doesn't, right? He doesn't use those words, I am God. Right? So just because he doesn't use the words, I am God, does that mean he doesn't claim to be God? Oh, no. Right? We're going to look at different passages where very clearly he claims to be God. Right, Miss Rachel? Okay. John 10, uh, verse number 30. Uh, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Okay? Now, um, Thinking about that verse, and if you're able to, turn there in John chapter 10, verse number 30. Um, when he says, I and my Father are one, what is he claiming? Uh, other than, again, the easy answer is to say he's claiming to be God. That's not the answer I want, okay? What is he, when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, what is he claiming? What's that? Okay, they're unified, Right? What else? What else do we find in this verse? Not, they're unified. I and my Father are one. There's a unity there, right? What else? I mean, yeah, you have the unity there. They're, they're one, right? Um, but what else do we see here? Ms. Jenna? What's that? Yes, I mean, there's no doubt about that. When he says, I and my Father are one, and obviously they understand that the Father is referring to God, God the Father. Jesus, in, in this saying, I and my Father are one, he's claiming to be God. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But what else is he, what is, what is he claiming in this passage? What is he claiming there when he says, I and my Father are one? Not one and the same because Jesus isn't the Father. The Father's not Jesus. Jesus isn't the Father. They're, and that's why he says, I and my Father. There's two distinct people here. You have Jesus and the Father. What was it? He's claiming to be equal with the Father. Right? He says, I and my Father are one. In other words, and this is why later on in, the, uh, in, in, uh, in his teaching, he says, if you, have seen the, if you have seen me, you have seen 
the Father. Why? Because they're equal, right? They're, they're absolutely equal. That's why when you go to the book of Philippians, right? In Philippians chapter, is it 2? Let me see here. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 6, he says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Right? He's equal with God. He's equal with the Father. Right? But yet, in being equal with God, right? That's what he's saying there in Philippians chapter 2. In being equal with God, it's not robbery. In other words, in being equal with the Father, he's not taking anything from the Father. He's not taking any power. He's not taking anything from the Father. He is equal with the Father. They are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, co-powerful, right? They're equal. And so when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, he is claiming to be God. He is saying, I am just as much God as the Father is. I have just as much power as the Father does. We are one, right? We, we are equal here. Now, when he said that, right, what happened? Again, remember we, we talked about this last week, right? What were the three L's that um, C.S. Lewis said? Anybody remember the three L's? He's either a what? What was the first thing? A liar. He's either a liar. He's either a What? lunatic or he is what's the last l oh come on people really lord thank you right he is lord right so he's either a liar he is a lunatic or he is lord right if he is a liar and a lunatic who cares Right? Who cares? If he's a liar, who cares? If he's a lunatic, who cares? Right? What's verse 31 say? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why are they going to stone him? If he's a liar, you know, I mean, he's just, he's a liar. Doesn't deserve stoning. If he's a lunatic, he's just a lunatic. Let him go. He's just, he's mad. He's crazy. So why stone him? To silence him? Because he is claiming to be God. And everything that he has done has proven himself to be God. Everything he's done, his teaching, his miracles, that's why even when they send, when the Pharisees send their own spies, right? When they send their own people to try to trip him up and trick him and, and all those different things, what do they come back saying? Never a man spake like this man. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> it just, it didn't work. <laughs> um, in fact, he made us look like fools. I mean, at 12 years of age, he's confounding the doctors. He's confounding the lawyers, right? Everything he says, they they have nothing for it. The miracles that he does, they can't explain them. And then he claims to be God. So in order to 
shut him up so that people don't believe him, they try to stone him. Because he was proving to be God and they did not have an answer for it. They, 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 they couldn't just call him out as a liar. What has he lied about? They couldn't call him out as a lunatic. What has he done that is, I mean, look at, look at the people following. Look at the miracles that he's done. Look at the, the, the son raised from the dead. Look at Lazarus raised from the dead. Look at the miracles, the, the devils being cast out. I mean, look at all these different things. And then he says, I and my father are one. What else? How else do we prove that Jesus is God? Ms. Kelly? Yeah, there, there are passages throughout Scripture where God himself even claims Jesus is his son, right? Sunita? Mm-hmm. Yep, notice that not that I must be about my father's business, right? Obviously, he wasn't talking about carpentry, <laughs> right? He wasn't doing carpentry in the temple, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, all throughout Scripture, we find the Trinity. We find the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, right? Um, go, to, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Again, when, when you read through the book of John, and you remember what John says in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, These things have I written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? So the whole purpose of John's writing is everything in John, he's trying to help people to see that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is God. Right? So watch how, he, watch how he opens it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So when does time begin? When does time begin? Time begins with creation. Oh, there we go. It, what, that, was, that was kind of a trick question. When does time begin? Well, time for us, mankind for creation, begins at creation. But when does time begin with God? Never has a beginning. There is no beginning. Right? So when he says in the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning of God. What's he talking about? The beginning of creation. The beginning of time as we know it. Right? So in the beginning was the Word. So the Word was already at the beginning. 
and the word was with God. So the word was at the beginning. The word was with God at the beginning. And the word was God at the beginning. So right away, John is, is introducing to us that the word, and of course we know uh, later on in John chapter uh, 1 verse 14, we know that the word is speaking, of, of course, of Christ, of Jesus Christ. He's saying the word has always been. In the beginning of time as we know it, the word was already there. God was already there. The word was already there. The word was with God. The word was God. He's already there in the beginning. When we think of time, we think of, like Miss Leslie said, the seasons. You know, you can look at your watch and you can tell the time by the, the sun and the rotation and, and all of those different things. But when time began for us, it was when God created the heaven and the earth. But Jesus, again, he existed before all of that because he is God, right? He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's eternal. Um, Isaiah speaks of him in this way. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 10, he says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Right? So Isaiah says there's no God before him, there's no God after him. Right? There is no other God. Now again, man makes gods, right? But there is no other God. When we think of the Godhead, the creator God, there is no other Right? And in John chapter 8, again, Jesus declares his eternal existence. Right? Go to John chapter 8. Um. I uh, can't really read the whole passage here. John chapter 8 is pretty, pretty great. But um, if you go down um, in verse number 55, he says, Yet have you not known him? Well, just go back verse 54. Jesus says, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. So he's saying, look, you're saying that your God, your God, and he's saying, but I'm telling you, your God is my Father. He's my father, right? Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. (laughs) Anybody ever says that Jesus wasn't bold? They haven't read the scriptures. (laughs) You imagine saying that? If If I didn't say that I was God, if I didn't say that I knew the father, I would be a liar like you are. It's pretty bold. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Of course, Abraham, we're talking about hundreds of years before, right? The beginning of the Jewish nation. Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That's what Jesus said. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. In other words, he rejoiced to see me. He was happy to see me. He's either a liar 
He's either a lunatic or he's Lord. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. So you're either a liar or a lunatic, right? Either a liar or a lunatic because you're not even 50 years old, but you're saying Abraham saw you. Abraham saw your day. Jesus said unto them, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. Again, the implication here, Jesus is stating that he is the eternal God. He is God. He's not the father. Remember, he said, I know my father. The one that you claim to be your God is my father. So Jesus is not claiming to be the father, but he is claiming to be eternally God. In fact, it was so clear what he was claiming that these unbelieving Jews thought he was blaspheming. Again, watch what they do in verse number 57 or verse number 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. I've never done a study on this, but I think, I think it'd be interesting to see how many times they took up stones to cast at Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. Why? Because of what he said in verse 58. He said, before Abraham was, I am. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was claiming, just as he had told Moses on Mount Sinai, when Moses said, whom shall I say has sent me? God says, saying to them, I am that I am hath sent thee. Jesus is saying, the one who talked to Moses on Mount Sinai, yeah, that was me. That's me. I was the one that talked to Moses. I was the one that called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He said, that was me. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the I am. I am the eternal God. And that's why they wanted to stone him, because he was claiming to be God. If he's claiming to be God, then he must be eternal. Because you cannot be God and not be eternal. And that's why he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. Not just at Abraham's day or in Bethlehem or whatever. No, before Abraham was, I am. That's why he said in John chapter 1, verse number 1, and the word was with God. Jesus is proving his deity. He's proving it over and over. Yes, does Jesus, again, like um, Mrs. Newsom said, does Jesus come right out and say, I am God? No, he doesn't, not in our words, not in the way that we would think. But he does it over and over and over and over and over again. He proves it. He claims it. It's interesting when you think about Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then you compare it to Genesis, or John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Look at the similarity here. Let me read Genesis 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Right? So think about what he says in the first four verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. 
Now listen to John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What a parallel passage. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? God is stating his existence. He doesn't have to prove it. He's just stating it. God created everything. But how? The earth was without form and void. The darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. So notice, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you have the Trinity. All three involved. Did you notice that? All three involved. It's the Father's plan. The Spirit's in the one moving. But who's the one speaking? Well, according to John chapter 1, it says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the one speaking. When the Bible says, God said, let there be light, it wasn't the Father that said that. It was the Word. It was Jesus that said that. Jesus said, let there be light. And there was light. Why? Because all things were made by him. He spoke. Now, was the spirit involved? Yes. The Bible says the spirit moved upon the face of the waters. Was the father there? Absolutely. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. They're all there. We see that. This this parallel passage Again, John pointing out that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is the one in the beginning who spoke the world into existence. By the way, that's why he could get up in the bow of a ship when the storm is raging and say, peace be still, and the sea just calms. The wind ceases because he is the creator. But... Again, when you think about this, man could not know God unless God reveals himself to man because of man's separation. Now, in the beginning, man knew God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. But after the separation, now man is not able to know God unless God reveals himself. And this is, this is what's just absolutely fascinating when you think about it. In, in so many other religions, in order to know their God... You have to find him. But in the Bible, in order to know God, he finds you. He comes to find you. Man would not have known who God was unless God revealed himself. So what does God do? Not only does God reveal himself through his prophets and things, but God is going to reveal himself personally. He is going to manifest himself in the flesh. He's going to reveal himself in the flesh and that he is the eternal God. And that's why in John chapter 1, verse number 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This, this is what's so amazing and what, what totally, absolutely separates our God from every other God that man has tried to make. Man's God says, you have to do this to be able to reach me. 
you have to do this, you have to reach this level, you have to follow these rules, you have to do all of these different things, and then maybe you'll be able to reach me. And even then, if I don't like you, I don't take you anyway. God says, you can't reach me. It's impossible for you to reach me. But I want you to be with me, so instead of you having to do all this to come to me, let me come to you. And God becomes flesh. God becomes man. So that we can know him personally. So he's not just some force away, but he, is, he wants us to know him personally. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is, again, you think about it, this is what, I mean, every year around Christmas time we celebrate Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But if we really understand what's happening, God says, you can't know me personally. There's no way, there's nothing you can do. So I am going to come to you and I'm going to reveal myself in flesh and blood so that you can know me. And he becomes flesh. In Philippians 2, who being the form of God, thought it not proper to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. These other gods that men serve, you think about the Bible, Baal, right? I've always... <laughs> Um, I've always loved uh, the passage in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 where you have Elijah going against the prophets of Baal, right? I just always, I just, I really believe God enjoys humor. I think so. <laughs> I, I really believe God enjoys humor, right? And again, sometimes I, I, I wonder, maybe I don't, look into things too much but I can just in my mind's eye I can just see Elijah standing over there and these prophets of Baal around this altar and they're calling on Baal and nothing's happening and Elijah's like let's have some fun hey maybe he's asleep maybe Baal went on a maybe he went on vacation <laughs> just, I mean, come on. Get, maybe, maybe he took a journey. Cry louder, right? I mean, he's just, he's egging them on, right? And this is what totally blows my mind. They do it. <laughs> they, they do it, right? They do it. And they, they start jumping on the altar. Yeah, you really believe fire is going to come and you're jumping on the altar, right? They're, they're cutting themselves. And, and Elijah's just over here, I mean, for hours and hours, Elijah's just watching what's going on. Why? Because Baal, just like every other god, is aloof. He is untouchable. You cannot know him. And then Elijah says, okay, time's up. My turn. And Elijah rebuilds the altar pours 12 barrels of water after there's been a drought for over three years on this altar 
and prays. That's it. He just prays. God, I'm just, I'm just a servant. I'm just doing this because you've told me to. But I know you want, you want to reveal yourself. And all of a sudden, boom, fire falls. Now, that's incredible. But you know what's really incredible? As much as God was able to speak to Elijah... Elijah did not have that personal relationship with God the way that you and I do. Elijah didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he had the Spirit, but not the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Elijah was not able to know that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed in the Messiah, and he believed the Messiah would come, But he didn't know who it was going to be. And then when Jesus manifested himself, and that's why Jesus says the prophets live to see this. They long to see this. And you get to, disciples, you get to, Jews. Now, we we can't see it because that happened before, but... We have his word that we are able to go and say we know who he is. And we know that he is such a personal God. He's not aloof. He's not standing afar off saying, hey, figure it out. And if you can't figure it out, sorry, too late. No, he's saying, let me come to you. And let me show you who I am. And he manifests himself in the flesh. This physical manifestation of Christ Literally coming to our world in the flesh. Exactly as God prophesied. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God in the flesh. God robed in the flesh. God who was in the beginning, God who created everything, left heaven, put on flesh and blood to reveal himself to man so that we could have that personal relationship with him. That's why our God is so different than every other God that man has come up with. It's not a personal relationship with a God. They have no personal relationship with their God. We get to because he is God. Jesus is not just another man, not just a prophet. Again, <laughs> you, you can't have that middle ground. It is, it's impossible to say, well, he's just a, he, was, he was a good prophet. All right, if he's a good prophet, then you better listen to what he says. Well, you know, he was a good prophet, but we don't have to listen to everything. Okay, then he wasn't a good prophet. He's a liar. Well, no, he's not a liar. All right, then he's a lunatic. Well, no, he's not a lunatic. Then he's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. You can't have it both ways. He's either who he says he is, or he's not. And we get the privilege of being able to have that personal relationship with him 
because he revealed himself to us. And I've got some other things that we could get into. I just don't have time. Um, We'll get into this a little bit more next week. Um, Just some of the prophecies and things like that, proving who he is and, uh, and even just how the world is trying to diminish who Christ is. And just, uh, it's sad. But we have, we'll have to stop there tonight. All right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you truly are a God who cares for his creation. You're not aloof. You're not some force that's just standing far away and just waiting for us to figure it out. No, Lord, you knew we could never figure it out. And so you chose to come to us. You chose to reveal yourself to us that we might know you. Lord, what a privilege that is to be able to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, to know him personally. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to share that with others, to know that they too can know Christ, to know that Jesus is God and that he gave himself for them, that they can know him as well. Lord, thank you for the one that got saved this morning, being able to know you as their personal Savior. We pray you'd continue to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.